Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You are very welcome to episode 37 of the Scaling Your Business podcast. On this episode, I am joined by Dr. Fiona Edwards-Murphy, the CEO and co-founder of Apis Protect. Fiona, you're very welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks so much. Delighted to have you. Um, as usual with guests, we go back to chapter one. Um, through my research, I'm making an assumption here that you grew up in Cork. Yeah, you're assuming right. I was actually born in <laughs> born in Dublin and lived there for a while as a child. But uh, yeah, I'm from, from Canterbury in North Cork. Basically raised in Cork then. So yeah. <laughs> any favourite memories of growing up in Cork? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, no, I think uh, my, my favorite memories probably of growing up uh, in Kanturk would be uh, the fact that I got to grow up somewhere where I learned an awful lot about the world around me. Um, you know, thinking back to uh, my grandparents who used to mind me after school and, uh, you know, growing things with my grandfather, growing different, um, you know, plants, potatoes, strawberries, stuff like that. I think it's kind of something that I didn't think an awful lot about, I guess, in the intervening years since from being a child all the way through to now. But now um, now that I'm working at Apes Protect doing what I do and also, you know, uh, getting into gardening and stuff like that during the pandemic uh, <laughs> out of a lack of other things to do with my time outside of work. Uh, I'm kind of coming back a lot to, to that stuff that I learned as a child and, yeah, you know, surprised how much of it I absorbed. <laughs> Amazing. You talk about yeah. gardening because of the pandemic. My mother got into... Uh, got back into gardening and she got so obsessed with it that she used an old Henry Hoover as like a flower pot because she needed more flower pots to grow tomatoes in. Crazy. Um, for those who haven't been to Cork, I have. We have got an international audience. If they were ever to end up in Cork and they could only visit one thing, they've got an afternoon, where would you tell them to go to? Ooh, oh, that's a really good question. I think I've got a nice little combination boat on the north side of the river. Um, the Butter Museum which I think is just amazing. The fact that there is a butter museum in Cork and uh, the Franciscan Well, which is a, a, you know, a bar slash brewery uh, yeah. with a really nice pizza place inside of it as well. So it's a really nice kind of good summary of Cork. That's a great combination. <laughs> I actually afternoon. think Cork was the largest exporter of butter in the world at one point, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the interesting facts about uh, Cork and also Kerry, they're all across Kerry as well, there's a butter roads. So when you're driving around in the countryside here, you'll suddenly come across these just dead straight roads that go for miles and, and they're kind of weird and terrifying when you're driving because you're going up and down over really hilly terrain. It's kind of like being a roller coaster. They're like, oh, and there's suddenly a dead straight road in front of you. Those are all um, the old roads that used to be used to transport water into Cork City to export. Wow. Yeah, and they just went straight line across all the mountains. No one can say you don't learn interesting facts on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, sticking with growing up before we move on uh, who do you think had and you can answer this from multiple perspectives the biggest impact on you growing up oh um, you mean like uh, people in my life or yeah 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 I think it was well obviously I think this is absolutely the answer for everyone it's it's my parents um, yeah. they're just both uh, so fantastic um, in terms of uh, supporting me to to do whatever I wanted in life I mean like you know I'm I'm 
you know, I'm a woman, I'm an engineer, I've got a PhD, I'm a CEO. So obviously, <laughs> I guess I didn't hear an awful lot of the negative stuff that girls hear growing up. Um, and I think, you're, you know, your parents are absolutely the, the best place, you know, nobody ever told me my gender had anything to do with what I could achieve in life. Um, even there was no subtext whatsoever uh, like that. And obviously, that had an impact on me and, and, and my sister as well. Um, so, you know, they were so supportive. They were always, um, you know, you, we don't care what you're doing as long as you're doing what you enjoy. And, um, you know, uh, when I, you know, spent four years at university studying engineering, then decided I wanted to do a PhD, which was, you know, kind of a 180 degree turn, then spent four years doing a PhD and did a 180 degree turn into <laughs> entrepreneurship. Uh, and they've been so supportive all the way along and uh, all of my crazy <laughs> adventures basically so they sound like great parents um yeah. you you touched on engineering i have to bring it up you, if you're leaving sir you did physics engineering and i think it was called tg back in the day like communication graphics yeah in my school uh, that wasn't engineering wasn't offered on my school uh, strangely enough i went to a school uh, by ferryhouse racecourse up in county Meath, and mm-hmm. our school wasn't open so we spent the first two years of our school uh, going to school at a horse racing track like our English class was in the our bar, our pee, we had to run a lap of the horse track. It was crazy. Anyway, in my school, a lot of the uh, workshop-related stuff, uh, woodwork, engineering, wasn't offered. Um, but I'm curious to know, um, it sounds like you already had an interest in engineering-related topics from a very young age. What tilted you towards choosing you know, physics, engineering, TCG kind of things? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I think from an early age, I, mean, like, I was always good at you know maths and those kind of subjects, really interested in uh, science. I remember, I think my mom told me um, I used to go to the zoo whenever we went to the zoo, and I'd be pointing out all of the different animals and saying, look, that's this particular species of penguin. I, I forget all the species of penguins now, but when I was a child, I knew them. <laughs> I, you know, I, I would know everything. I was always interested in science and technology in the world around me. My dad, uh, worked at Aircom, or uh, still works at Air. I know it's had like 16 different names, uh, but um, te- you know, basically was a technician. He used to bring me into um, into the, the the telephone exchange and show me <laughs> what was going on in there and all the switches and stuff like that. So I guess being um, you know spending a lot of time around technology and stuff like that helped an awful lot. Uh, then I started secondary school, and um, I was lucky, yeah, like that, really lucky in the school that I went to in that. You, you could do there's they had engineering they had woodwork they had dcg physics applied maths you know um you know yes just really fortunate in the selection of subjects that were available at the school that i went to and the the policy was in first year you do every subject like there was i don't know how many 30 subjects in the school wow. and it was like no in first year at first half of the year you do half the subjects second half of the year you do the other half of the subjects everybody has to try everything and just fell in love instantly with um, tech drawing in particular, yeah, um, I think it was called design and communication graphics by the time I got to leaving cert, but I always just called it TG. Um, and um, just that subject in particular um, was my favorite thing to do. Like I would just like sit down and enjoy doing questions out of the leaving cert exam papers. I know that's such a weird thing to say, right? And then I didn't do civil engineering. Again, my random decision, I love this specific thing. And there's a whole yeah. course where that's a big section of what you do, but I'm going to do electrical engineering for some reason. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, fell in love with DCG. And then, you know, coming out of that, it was like, okay, so you're good at maths, you're good at DCG. Well, then if you want to take those two skills and then get 
multiples of Lena Sir points out about do do engineering, really did love engineering, um, do physics, do applied maths, actually didn't end up doing applied maths with the Lena Sir, but basically, yeah, it was like, you know, take this one area of what you're interested in and you can fill out, you know, 400 out of the 600 points in your leaving cert from just doing what you're interested in, kind of an obvious no, it's smart. It's very, very yeah. smart. Moving on to from your childhood, I, I'd like to do a segment where I pull facts that I found out about people from looking them up. I see that you've met Michael T. Higgins in Orson Uteron. You own yeah. a cat. You've traveled to places like America, Italy, Croatia. You've built a vegetable garden. What's one thing that you're into or curious about that not a lot of people might know about you? Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, my usual thing that people don't know about me fact and maybe if you found out those other things you might have found this out um i know how to play the bagpipes well wow. <laughs> i am yeah yeah and um, so um again my granddad the same granddad who i used to go gardening with uh, was like a really good bagpipe player um uh, taught both my sister and i how to play the bagpipes and now uh, i gave up on it when i was a teenager my sister is like a world-class bagpipe player so big time bagpipe family Shout out your sister. Shout yeah. out your, um, that's that. That's cool. Um, look, I have to give you congrats on being listed recently in Forbes 30 under 30 list. Um, it's not the only award you've won. You've what got you on my radar was you were listed on Ireland's top 30 women in tech in 2021, but you've also received a scholarship for all four years of undergrad awarded by Dell and Google Women Tech Maker Scholarship in 2016. What would you say to anyone who's potentially considering putting themselves forward for such awards or scholarships? I think one of the most important things is to go out and find out what's out there, what, what scholarships are available that you can apply for. Because I think a lot of the time people just aren't aware of, of the scholarships that are available um, to them. And especially like that, when you're at the university level, um, there's at, at, at UCC, there was a webpage that went through all of the scholarships that were available and just knowing about them and applying for them. <laughs> Obviously, if you don't apply, you just literally can't get them no yeah. matter how great you are. Um, so that's the most important thing. The second most important thing is understanding what the people who have the scholarship are looking for in candidates and making sure that when you're making an application, you talk about everything, you know, the, the whole we, we do, I think, in Ireland have this natural instinct to try and, you know, be modest and, you know, you know, slide under the radar. And, Push you know, things, that, yeah. you know you, you, if you've done good things, you should talk about, you should get all of the credit that you deserve for doing those good things. Mm. And then especially on the tech side and, and the women in tech side, you know, I think the, the, the Dell scholarship and also the, the Google scholarship that I got were both women in technology scholarships. And I know that a lot of people, and especially women, kind of look down on scholarships like that. They say, oh, I would never apply for that. Why, why, why should, <laughs> you know, and especially I think it's kind of self-selecting the kind of women who do well in tech are the kind of women who do well in an environment where, you know, they're not afraid to butt heads with all the men. And I'm absolutely like that, you know, I'm, yeah. you know, nobody's going to let me not get, or nobody's going to make me not achieve what I want to achieve just because I'm a woman. And I think that that kind of makes that kind of self-selecting that the kind of women who are able to apply for these scholarships are the kind of women who go, oh, no, I can do this on my own. I don't need your help. I don't need your scholarship, you know. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think what, what I like to say about that is you're never going to get 
a prize for not accepting the help that's available. You're not going to, nobody's going to at the end of your career go, oh, and you never accepted a women in engineering scholarship. So here's your little mm. prize for that. You know, take the things that are available to help you get where you where you want to go and where you need to go in life, you know? Exactly. And actually yeah. backed by backed by data, women uh, outperform male tech leaders like by far in, in everything. Absolutely. So yeah. They they yeah. they should put themselves <laughs> forward for it. Yeah. Apris Protect is your baby. What's your favorite aspect of being an entrepreneur? Oh, uh, my favorite aspect of what I do is the fact that my job, uh, you know, I've been working at Apris Protect for four years now. I don't think every two months max uh, so far in that entire length of time, my job has been a completely different job. So one thing that I never want to do, I never want to do the same thing twice. I never want to get into a routine <laughs> with my work. Um, and it's just when you're a CEO, literally a routine is not an option. Um, yeah. You know, constantly working out what, what we've got, what team have we got, building the team, understanding your product, understanding your product market fit, and then adapting all of that as the entire world around you changes. Like, for example, last year, COVID arrived literally within the space of a week. We went from not even being a factor in our brains to deciding everything we do every day and just responding to that crisis in the moment. And that's absolutely what I love the most about my job is, you know, the constant change and the constant learning new things, <laughs> experiencing new things. Yeah. If, if I've understood this correctly, uh, APRIS Protect, um, APRIS being the Latin word for B that I learned from you, um, is a technology that you can use to help display any warning signs that could cause harm or damage to the bees. Am I correct on that? Yeah, pretty much. So it's a, what we've got is a sensor device. It's a small, um, I've got one here on my desk, but I have this is a podcast, so it's not very helpful. A small plastic box with sensors inside that's installed within the beehive. Um, so basically we put temperature, humidity, sound, and movement sensors inside the beehive. And then what we do is we extract that data and we process it and give the information back to the beekeepers. So we help those beekeepers identify which beehives are behaving differently. Um, and what that does is it, it helps the beekeeper know where they are needed. So if you've got five beehives spread across a bit of an area in Ireland, and you know there's one particular beehive that's behaving very differently, and you've only got an hour to go visit your hive, that's the hive that you're going to go yeah. visit. And as well as that, we've, we've got more specific alerts, like if a beehive is damaged by animals or the wind, or if it gets way too hot or way too cold, um, or even if the conditions are right for particular treatment. So basically it's kind of giving the beekeeper an extra layer of information about their beehives. Um, something that's very important to us is we're not trying to stop people beekeeping. We're not trying to automate beekeeping. Um, you know, beekeepers are beekeepers because they love what they do. Anyone who can make a thousand euro keeping bees can make 10,000 euros doing literally anything else. Beekeepers are beekeepers because they're passionate about their bees. So what we do is we give them extra information that helps them work with their bees in a more informed way. Uh, rather than trying to say you don't need to keep bees because you do you, you want to keep bees why would i stop you doing that for anyone who isn't a beekeeper but wants to uh, help improve things or move things bring things back to where they were what could people do on an individual level yeah, there's uh, here in Ireland, we've got the most fantastic pollinator plants that I, I've heard of around the world. So um, pollinators, uh, the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan is what it's called. Pollinators.ie, I think, is the website. On there, they've got lists of 
things that you can do to help improve the biodiversity in your area, help improve the, the bee welfare in your area. Because one of the most important things is that um, while honeybees have an awful lot of problems and beekeeping has a lot of challenges that it's trying to deal with at the moment, uh, the bees that really actually need our help and need our help on an individual level, as in uh, people who aren't beekeepers need to help, um, is our wild bees, so our bumblebees, our solitary mm. bees, and then even other pollinators, things like um, you know butterflies and flies. Um, so the most important things to do is actions that help those bees rather than honeybees, because honeybees have beekeepers minding them. Um, so it's things like not mowing your lawn. The number one thing that you can do to help our wild pollinators is to not do something. So that's my, that's my favorite kind of action is to not do something. So don't mow, don't mow your lawn for the month of May is a really great thing. So uh, letting those um, dandelions grow, uh, clover grow, stuff like that. Those are really yeah. good pollen sources for those for those insects. Uh, and then beyond that, there's a list and list of trees and plants that you can plant uh, in order to help those bees. And then if you've got specific things like you're really involved in a GA club or you've got a firm, you know, there's specific, act specific actions for specific places or, you know, a school can implement a pollinator plan for that school and they've got very tailored ones to suit those different kinds of situations. Um, and uh, one of the best things that we can do as well to help our local biodiversity, you know, beyond bees is actually plant trees. So we... Um, you know, when you see an awful lot of people pushing, oh, we're going to sprinkle wildflower seeds and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Actually, a tree is a fantastic source of help for all of our biodiversity. So a tree is a home for birds. It's a source of food for uh, things like squirrels and birds. It's a source of pollen for the bees, um, you know, when it's flowering. So things like holly, uh, blackthorn and whitethorn. So our native trees. Mm. Planting more of our native trees is, is just a fantastic thing to do if somebody has the room and the uh, inclination to do that. It's great to see um, people like yourself spreading awareness of how we can be good to the environment. I had Ahmed from Evoco on my podcast recently. He's from uh, North Dublin. He has an app basically that you can download and upload your shopping receipt to and it will tell you how eco-friendly your shop was. And then when you go for your, if you're going for another shop in, you know, three, four days later, how you can be make friendlier choices based on the purchases you just made. And if you feel bad, it will enable you to purchase or plant trees. So it's great to see those people out there that are, that are making an impact in a previous podcast. You spoke about this thing that I Googled and listened to, and it's a unique sound. It's tooting, piping and quacking. You got to yeah. talk about that and explain to people <laughs> what that is. Uh, yeah, that's that's a really interesting thing. So um, basically, uh, all of those noises are to do with queen reproduction. So uh, the way that beehives naturally produce reproduce in the wild is to um, create a second queen. So if you've got a, you're you're a beehive, obviously beehives only have one queen each. It's a queen. Yeah. That's kind of it's there in the name. Um, if they think that that queen is getting a bit old or getting a bit sick or not laying as well as she used to be, or if the colony has gotten really big and they've got enough bees that they could actually split off and form a new colony, the bees will raise a second queen or actually several sets of, of, of extra queens inside in, um, in little, um, they're called queen cells, so they're basically kind of like a little egg that the queens are, are living inside. In. And um, as those queens get to maturity and they start to you know get ready to emerge from from those little cocoons that they're in um, they start to make noises and there's there's tooting and there's quacking the the existing queen makes one of those noises and the new queens make a different one i forget whether it's tooting and quacking or, or quacking and tooting yeah. 
uh, but basically they make these crazy noises. They sound like birds. They definitely don't sound like bees. If you're standing in an apiary and like if you're just standing near a beehive, you could hear those noises, but you would assume there's a bird in a bush nearby or something like that. You wouldn't assume it's coming from the beehive. And those noises are just really, really interesting. And what, what they're useful for is it helps the queens to find each other. So as a new queen emerges, the existing queen is trying to find her and they'll fight. So they kind of, there's a fight, not to the death, <laughs> but um, they fight each other. The winner gets to keep this hive as in the hive that they're sitting and fighting. And the loser has to leave the hive and go form a new hive somewhere else. So she'll take some bees with her. And, yeah. and then um, if, the, if the bees have produced several new queens, that, those fights will keep happening over a couple of days. And you'll oh. see queens leaving with groups of bees uh, to go establish new colonies. So obviously, if you're a beekeeper, that's something that you want to prevent happening because they're going to disappear off with the majority of the bees and you'll, you'll be you'll be gone from a really really big colony to a much smaller colony with um, a random queen inside not the queen that you thought you had or maybe if she was really good she might have bought them all off but uh, that's not very likely um so basically it's something that beekeepers want to prevent so we put a lot of time and energy into trying to identify and um, understand uh, the sim that that whole event is called swarming so trying to identify swarming in advance so that's a feature that we're we don't, it's not, it's not available yet, but we're very excited to release it. We're, we're getting there with that feature. Uh, but it's a really interesting event that happens inside the beehive. And I think it was when I was learning about that during my PhD, you know, I was an engineer. I had no experience with beekeeping. Um, I was learning about beehives and about the crazy things that they do and, and how this is a really interesting system. You know, when you're an engineer, you spend your entire time studying systems. And um, it just, the beehive is just the most amazing system like that that whole queen reproduction thing, that was crazy. And then learning about how they manage the CO2 levels inside the beehive, how they manage the temperature. Like um, if the hive gets too hot, the bees will all line up at the entrance. The entrance is like a, a line, it's a, it's, a, it's a slit. And they'll line up at the entrance to the hive and flap their wings. And they'll basically, uh -huh. like they'll suck in the cold air from outside and to try and cool it down. And just, it's just the wow. most amazing system. And, um, you know, that's really where I would, Wow, bees are amazing. I want to learn everything I possibly can about these amazing little creatures. Very, very smart. Very smart. Um, I'm sure you've come up against challenges in the last, let's say, 12 to 18 months. What's one challenge or objection that you've come up against and how did you, that you might not have expected and how did you tackle or overcome it? Are we talking specifically COVID here or? Uh, it could be anything. The most interesting challenge that we've had over the last year has really been around COVID and uh, the USA, basically. So we'd spent, um, since uh, I guess 2018, we'd been working on developing our technology for commercial beekeepers in the USA. And we were just ready. It was all coming together. We were like certifying the hardware and putting the polishing touches on, on the technology. And suddenly we're not allowed to travel to the U.S. anymore. Uh, my my co-founder, Podrick, uh, was in the U.S. just as all the restrictions were, were locking down. We managed to get him out. We, like, we had to change his flight several times to make sure it was still happening. So we're, we're physically not allowed to go to the U.S. Um, our customers are beekeepers. They're farmers. They're not used to, you know, doing doing business digitally with people in Ireland. So what we did was we um, accelerated our plans to hire a VP of sales in the US. Um, so that was a really interesting challenge was hiring someone to do such an important role, you know, basically be the face that the beekeepers see that your customers see, hire that person during COVID 
obviously completely over video calls on a different continent. And, you know, we were, we knew we would never, we wouldn't even get to meet this person for at least like a year at that stage. Um, so that we took our, we took our time anyway to start with, we worked with a fantastic recruiter based over in California and uh, we managed to, to find a, a really excellent VP of sales who's now based in, in South Dakota. So based right there in the middle of all of the, the these beekeeping operations in the Midwest. So that was, it worked out well, <laughs> but it certainly was very stressful because there was lots of opportunities for it not to work out well. So now we're back on track in the US and um, as well. The other thing that we did is we decided to release our technology and make it available to Irish beekeepers, which uh, was, again, something that was kind of, a, oh, that would be great to do in a few years' time in terms of our plan uh, as of, you know, I guess, February 2020. <laughs> um, but we said, like, look, we've got, you know, we're not able to travel to our beekeepers in the U.S. right now. Uh, we've got a really interesting beekeeping community here in Ireland. Let's make our technology available. So uh, in January of this year, we did have to make some technical adjustments to it. Uh, we started um, pre-orders for our technology, so uh, the pre-orders are selling out really quickly at the moment. So any beekeepers who are listening who are interested, they need to get their name on one of them pretty quickly because we're limited on the amount that we're producing in 2021. Uh, and those devices will be going out and going live and um, later on in the summer. So we're really excited uh, to see that, um, have all those devices come online over here. We really want to make Irish beekeepers the most, the most technically advanced beekeepers mm -hmm. in the world. Is our That's our really cool. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, books, podcasts, other ways that you potentially invest in yourself. You got any books that you read, podcasts that you listen to? I have some books and podcasts that I listen to, but what I think actually I find um, is the most important thing, well, for me anyway, um, mm -hmm. is taking a break from what I do, you know, being mm -hmm. the CEO, thinking about the business all day long and, you know, all day long is often 12 hours a day. Um <sighs> going away and nothing so I read I read a lot I read fantasy books and I listen to a lot of podcasts but they're all about music and mm. those things that are just like that those are thing podcasts now <laughs> um, and taking the time to go away and completely forget about everything that's going on at Apis Protect at, at every available opportunity and there's not a lot of opportunities available and um, that's what I find is the, the most important thing for my own development and actually I find when I go away and take those breaks and then come back to what I'm doing. That's when I'm the most productive, uh, you know, or mm. that's when I have new ideas. That's when I think of, you know, the solution to that weird problem that's been niggling at us for a couple of months. Um, so, you know, taking, taking, taking time to give yourself some distance, um, you know, go, you know, getting snow blind, I think is something that I suffer from a lot at, at work and I always have. Um, and knowing, when to take a break, when to walk away for a while and then come back with fresh eyes is, is the most. You mentioned those 12 hours days at Apris Protect. What continues to drive you to move forward? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, what drives me forward the most is just, um, well, first of all, the fact that at the heart of what we're doing, there's something really worth doing, if you get what I mean. I don't think I could mm -hmm. make myself work this hard for a business that was just a business with a financial reward at the end of the day. Yep. I, I couldn't. Um, it's the the mission, the bigger mission behind what we're doing at Apis Protect, you know, helping these beekeepers, helping the, the animal welfare within the beekeeping industry as well is something that's very important to us. You know, they, they, these are animals, they're invertebrates, so we don't think an awful lot about, you know, hurting them and stuff like that, but they are very important they're so important for us uh, for food production for humankind and making sure that they're uh, you know that we get to 
use them in the way that we need to in order to produce the food that we need while also increasing their welfare, making them more healthy, uh, making sure they're not spreading diseases and stuff like that is something that um, absolutely, uh, you know, being able to achieve that is something that helps me keep driving forward. Um, and yeah, exactly. It's just being, knowing that while we're building a, a great business and stuff like that, but also when that business is successful, the fact that it, it incidentally also creates all these positive things, helps with sustainability, helps with biodiversity. That, that's impact. All. Yeah, exactly. Im- impact it, is big. Yeah, exactly. It's the fact that um, we help these beekeeping businesses become more productive businesses while also improving the welfare of their animals. And I think that that's something that doesn't happen an awful lot where, um, you know, making these businesses more successful, these beekeeping operations more successful also actually has a positive impact on the welfare of the animals in that business. You know, it's, it's often it's seen that or people see that animal welfare or sustainability, climate change, biodiversity is something that will be, um, you know, negative, have a negative impact on the businesses that yeah. they're, if, oh my God, the words are just not coming to me right now on that. I completely Sorry. understand what, what you're saying, but yeah. I, I I do have two final questions for you. Yeah, sure. Um, I want you to imagine that your loved ones are all safe but your house or apartment is burning down and you can only save one item what one item would that be that's a really interesting question Um, the most common answer is usually a laptop but i'm expecting more i wouldn't be my laptop no well first of all because we've got everything backed up properly nice laptop can burn (laughs) you surprised by so many people who don't have things backed up yeah yeah Um, I think it would probably be, um, and maybe just because I only got married last year, it would be like our, our, our wedding photos and stuff like that, probably. Oh. Um, yeah, maybe I'm just a very dispassionate person. I'm, there's <laughs> nothing jump, jumping out at me as very, very important. Um, yeah. It shows that you're, the people you're surrounded by are the most important to yeah, you. Yeah, the people. I mean, like, I'm assuming, I am assuming my cat is part of yeah, the yeah. people yeah, well, that are safe. Well, if you love your cat, really, well, then that's part um, of your loved ones. Maybe, yeah. Maybe that I've got, I do have a pile of, like, seedlings and stuff like that downstairs that I've put my heart and soul into getting them alive. So maybe I'll take those out. <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah. Uh, final question is, I'd like you to imagine it's the end of the decade, so it's now 2030, and you're looking back on the last decade, the last nine, ten years, either personally or professionally, what would you like to be looking back on and say, I did that, I achieved that, I overcame that? Oh, that's a really good um, question again. Um, I'm sorry if I keep saying that's a really good question. Oh, it, a really good question. Makes me smile when you say that. It shows I've done a good job. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I think what I would love would be to looking back, to be looking back on APHIS Protect scaling yeah. really successfully. So the position we're at right now, We've got our technology launched as of quarter four uh, last year in the US, just launching at the moment in, in Ireland. I would love to be able to say, you know, we've brought our technology to beekeepers in, in many parts of the globe. Uh, I'd love to get into um, several European countries. We, we have a lot of beekeeping over here in Europe. So I'd love to go from Ireland to places like to Germany, to Austria, to the UK. Um, I think that that scaling Apis protect successfully would be fantastic to be looking back on. Well, I wish you every success in that, and I hope that in 2030 you are uh, much larger than than you currently are, and are in every European B country out there, and and America as well. But uh, I've I've had a great pleasure in chatting to you. I've also had a great pleasure in researching. 
I've learned a lot about beekeeping from tooting and quacking to apis being the Latin word for bee to so, so many interesting things. My next guest is actually another guest from Cork. So today is filled with tons of people from Cork and I have really enjoyed the last 30, 32 minutes. So thank you for being my guest today. Thanks so much. It was, it was great. Beautiful morning. Get a sun in my morning, babe. Nothing in the world.